Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon for those on the East Coast. And I think those on the West Coast is still the morning. It's 2 o'clock, and I think it's uh, 11 o'clock your time, and then in the central region, the mid-central region of the United States, um, it's also the afternoon. This is uh, Kennard. I am your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. This program is for those who truly seek the words of God and hunger and thirst for it. This is not the program for those who don't hunger and thirst for the words of God. I'm going to briefly go over a headline here on watch.org. If you want to go there with me on Google, www.watch.org. Uh, Koenig's International News, he does a very good job of fulfilling uh, Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36. Uh, let's turn there. Occasionally I like to turn there and uh, review that scripture. Uh, Luke chapter 21, going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake, states here, but keep watch on yourselves, in Luke 21 verse 34 in the complete Jewish Bible version, but keep watch on yourselves or your hearts will become dulled by carousing drunkenness and the worries of everyday life, and that day will spring upon you suddenly like a trap. And, of course, it's talking about the day of the Lord, the day that uh, Yeshua, or Jesus, for those who are listening to me for the first time, Jesus, Christ, or Yeshua Messiah, will land his feet on the Mount of Olives and destroy all opposition. And the process of purging sin in a personal way in a way that it has never been done before, will begin once he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives because he's going to start to purge the whole world of sin. And that's what Yom Kippur ultimately represents, and I'm going to go into detail about that. Uh, the elimination of sin. Because Yah never intended for sin to exist in the first place. So anyway... Let's go to watch.org, and this um, headline of this article here says, War with cancerous tumor Israel will eventually happen, says Iranian general. The God of Israel will defend his country. So, um, And then at the bottom of this website here, you scroll down, it says, Khomeini reportedly orders the Revolutionary Guards to stop global attacks focused on region. So... Things are heating up, folks. Things are heating up, and we need to to pay attention to what's going on. Um, I'm doing the best I can, but I'm just one little puny man. Uh, I need other people to spread the word about what's going on here and that we need to get serious and realize the signs of the times. In Proverbs 22, verse 3, it says, The clever see trouble 
coming and hide. The simple go on and they pay the penalty. And I'm sure you don't want to pay the penalty. And in Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, it talks about what the time of his uh, coming is like. Uh, Luke 17, verse 20, the Purishim, or Pharisees, asked Yeshua when the kingdom of God would come. The kingdom of God, he answered, does not come with visible signs, verse 21, nor will people be able to say, look, here it is, or over there, because you see the kingdom of God is among you, and he was talking about spiritually as far as the model or type of character that will be in the kingdom of God. And of course, he symbolized that, and, and of course, his Talmudan or his disciples following him did as well. In, in verse 22, then he said to his Talmudim or disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see even one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will say to you, look, right here, or see, over there, don't run off, don't follow them, because the Son of Man in his day, and he's talking about the day of his second coming when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives, but has everything to do with Yom Kippur. Anyway, it will be like lightning that flashes and lights up the sky from one horizon to the other. But first, he must endure horrible suffering and be rejected by this generation. Verse 26. Also, at the time of the Son of Man, it will be just as it was at the time of Noah or Noah. So he's telling you the times of, of this century, this 21st century, is like the time of Noah. And he gives you a description here in verse 27. People ate and drank, and men and women married. Right up until the day Noah entered the ark, then the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, in similar fashion, or likewise, as it was in the time of Lot. People ate and drank, bought and sold and planted and built. I want you to notice something, that he's comparing the days of Noah, which is confirmed by Jewish writings, the days of Noah, and the days of Lot were similar. Likewise, as it was in the time of Lot, people ate and drank, bought and sold, planted and built. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30 is the pivotal verse. This is how it will be, this is how it will be on the day the Son of Man is revealed. That's how it will be on the day that the Son of Man is revealed into unto the entire world. And then, verse 31, on that day, the, the start of that day, if someone is on the roof with his belongings in his house, he must not go down to take them away. Similarly, if someone is in the field, he must not take or turn it back. He must not turn back. And he says, remembers Lot's wife. So similarly, if someone is in the field, he must not turn back, remember Lot's wife. So, we, we have to understand the warning here. This is definitely the days of Lot, with the acceptance of homosexuality and being gay. Uh, the fact that, uh, let's look at the sins of Sodom again, because most people don't understand that. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse, um, let me uh, lower the volume there. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 16, let me read this in the English Standard Version for clarity's sake here, Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse um, 46, no, 48, as I live, so Ezekiel 16 verse 48 in the English Standard, the English Standard Version of the Bible Ezekiel 16, verse 48, As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Verse 49, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. Do we not have pride in this country? Excess of food. Oh, we're just ruining. We wax fat. We have a lot of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. So, we have a lot of pride, we have too much food, we're lazy, we're prosperous, and we don't 
aid the poor and the needy. We have approximately 48 million people right now that don't have enough to eat in this country. And we are the richest country in the world. There's no excuse for that. Verse 50, they were haughty and did an abomination before me, and that includes sexual abomination. So I removed them, then I saw it, or when I saw it. All right, so that is the state of not only people in this country, but around the world. We lead the world in wickedness, though, unfortunately. All the tribes of Israel do. And here's another disclaimer again. Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, you need to know who they are. I want you to go to Yeridavidi's website, www.britam.org, to understand who they are. Okay. So let's get into this Bible study about what Yom Kippur is. Uh, according to the New Moon calendar, uh, I will be celebrating it uh, with a uh, fellowship of people on Wednesday, which is, let me look at my calendar here. Yeah, that's on the 26th. All right, and I know based on the Jewish calendar, which is based on calculations of the new moon, it begins on Tuesday, the 25th. So anyway, Yom Kippur, what is it? How do we observe it? What does it mean? Because it really is a very significant day. Uh, it pictures the, the work of the Messiah, the shedding of his blood for not only the 12 tribes of Israel, but for all of mankind. Uh, this day is a very important day in God's eyes, Elohim's eyes, Yah's eyes. And we need to study it. So let's study it, and I'm going to do it uh, as clearly as I can. There's so much, <laughs> when you're talking about the holy days of Yah, there's so much to talk about, but I'm going to try to simplify it as best I can about this day. So, let's turn to Leviticus, chapter 23. Leviticus, chapter 23. And let's begin... Verse 27, now on the tenth day of, of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time a holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whosoever or whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. Shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. So he's very adamant about you keeping this day. It's a very important day to keep. And he, he wants you to, to take it seriously, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is something not to take very lightly and we must take it very seriously so let's go on with the scripture here verse 31 you shall do you shall not do any work so we shouldn't do any work at all it is the statue forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places so that's very important especially for those who state that you know, laws done away with. Uh, we don't have to to keep the days and so forth. I keep on hearing all this. The law is is done away with, and each and every time I study the Bible, I found out I find out that the law is not done away with, and that we need to keep all the laws of God, which is Torah instruction. That's what law should have been translated in the King James Version. Torah means instruction. Okay, so also, an extension to this is the Jubilee, which is celebrated every 50th year in conjunction with the seven-year cycle. 
uh, in Leviticus chapter 25, starting in verse 9. Still reading this in the English Standard Version of the Bible. So in the beginning of these verses, it talks about the six years you shall sow your field in verse 3, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a, a Shabbat of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. So I'll just read this to lead up into the Jubilee here. In verse 5, you shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grace of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. Verse 6, the Shabbat of the land shall provide food for you, your servant, I mean for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired servant and for the sojourner who lives with you. Verse 7, and for your cattle and for your wild animals that are in your land, all this yield shall be your food. Verse 8, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. And in verse 9, then shall you sound a loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. And this is on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. We have this scripture, uh, Leviticus 25, verse 10, imprinted on the bell. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. This is, again, on the Liberty Bell, this scripture. In Philadelphia, it shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That's another proof that we are a part of Israel, the fact that we have this scripture inscribed on the Liberty Bell in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Okay, so, Day of Atonement is associated with that. And here's an interesting, um, if I can find this book here that I just had a few minutes ago. Um, well, any, as far as Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10, here it is. God's Appointed Times, a practical guide for understanding and celebrating the biblical holy days by Barney Caston. On page 83, in the section of Yom Kippur, he states here, in Luke 4, verses 16 to 22, Luke 4, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 22, Yeshua is called to the Torah in his local synagogue of Nazareth. After reading a powerful message from Isaiah chapter 61, he delivered a simple yet stunning message claiming to be the Messiah, the Anointed One, who would set the captives free. Some of the classical rabbis believed this passage would be the very words Messiah would speak to the Israel when he came. The fact that this passage speaks of the Messiah as the liberator of the Jewish people led other rabbis to speculate that Messiah would appear on a very special Yom Kippur in the year of Jubilee. And this is in the Talmud, Sanhedrin 97b, the world will endure not less than 85 jubilees, and in the last jubilee, the Messiah, son of David, will come. So this is very, very interesting here. Also here, another interesting element is that this passage of Isaiah 61 is no longer read in the traditional one-year cycle of the readings in the synagogue. That's interesting, isn't it? Anyway, yet it is known that the first century service was based on a three-year cycle, which was much more expanded. So the current cycle of reading the Torah readings was, was not the way it was back in the days of Yeshua. It was a three-year cycle. Hence, Isaiah 61 might logically have been tied to a reading close in proximity, or near, namely Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is the current synagogue reading for every Yom Kippur service. Let me repeat this. Isaiah chapter 58 is the current synagogue reading for every Yom Kippur service. Such information has led some scholars to conclude not only that Yeshua was presenting a dramatic message about his messiahship, but that this event actually took place at a Yom Kippur service. And this is a quote from Edersheim, uh, mentions this view by Benjo 
in Life and Times of Jesus and Messiah, Book 3, page 452. It says, Not a bad time for Yeshua to publicly speak the words that Messiah was to speak to Israel. So it's, it's a real good chance, and it appears it's a high probability that the Messiah will come back, uh, perhaps on a Jubilee year, which is, is linked with the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. But let's understand that Yom Kippur, similar to Yom Teruah, is a time of judgment. But the difference is that this is <laughs> Yom Kippur is is is, is going to be the beginning of the separation of the wicked from the righteous, initiated when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives, and we're going to see that as we go on with this um, Bible study. Now, what is I just read to you that this is a fast. What is what is that? What is a fast? What is the Bible definition of a fast? This type of fast. Well, we have one scripture in Esther four verse sixteen. Let's turn there. Esther four verse sixteen. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. This is uh, Esther telling Mordecai this. Go, and in Esther 4, verse 16, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. So that was the kind of fasting that Esther did, and this is the kind of fasting that Elohim, or God, wants us to do for the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, his secular law, not the law of God, and if I perish, I perish. So that, that's a biblical definition, basically, or description of the Yom Kippur fast. And that's what she did. She did a Yom Kippur fast, a real serious fast. And that obviously got Yah's attention. Okay, so let's go into detail on how this important day is observed. And I'll go into further detail of what the day means which is covered a little bit in uh, what I'm going to read here from Chabad.org. Uh, so I got this from Chabad.org, C-H-A-B-A-D.org. That's C-H-B as in boy, A-D as in dog.org. How is Yom Kippur observed, or the Day of Atonement? Yom Kippur commemorates the day when God forgave the Jewish people for the sin of the golden calf. Forty days after hearing God say at Mount Sinai, you shall not have the gods of others in my presence, you shall not make for yourself a graven image. The Jews committed the cardinal sin of idolatry. Moses spent nearly three months on top of the mountain pleading with God for forgiveness. And on the tenth of Tishri, it was finally granted. I have pardoned as you have requested. From that moment on, on this date, henceforth known as the Day of Atonement, is annually observed as a commemoration of our special relationship with God a relationship that is strong enough to survive any rocky bumps it might encounter. This is a day when we connect with the very essence of our being, which remains faithful to God regardless of our outward behavior. And while it is the most solemn day of the year, yes, I want to point out that this is the most solemn day of the year, we are also joyful, confident that God will forgive our sins and seal our verdict for a year of life, health, and happiness. Uh, for nearly 26 hours, from several minutes before sunset on 9 Tishri until after nightfall on 10 Tishri. We, uh, Tishri, for those who don't know what that is, that's uh, based on the Jewish calendar. That's the, the month. The seventh month is Tishri. We afflict our souls. We abstain from food and drink. Do not wash or anoint our bodies. Do not wear leather footwear and abstain from spousal intimacy. Now, this as far as not washing and anointing our bodies, that's a, that's a tradition. And then not wearing leather footwear, that's a Jewish tradition as well. And abstaining from spousal intimacy, that's also a Jewish tradition. That's not, I don't see that in the Tanakh. So that's, if you want to do that, that's fine. But what I see in the Tanakh is that we should abstain from food and drink. Now, this is interesting. We are likened to the angels who have no physical needs. And so this is linked again with the resurrection, even though Yom Teruah is the resurrection of the first fruits. This still focuses on the resurrection because uh, Yom Teruah, we are already resurrected. 
And here, here's another scripture. Let me let me quote this here. What Christ said about those in a resurrected state. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 25. Mark chapter 12, verse 25. He stated that in Mark 12, verse 25, in the English Standard Version, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So this is uh, Yeshua's words, and this in red letters in the old King James Version. Actually, in this version as well, he said that we will be like angels. And then another uh, scripture in First Corinthians six, or Holy Writ, or sacred writings—that's what scripture means. First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse one: When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Verse two: Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? We will judge the world. The first fruits will judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to, to try trivial cases? Verse 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? We're going to have the privileges of the angels, so much so that we're going to be judging angels. It says, how much more than matters pertaining to this life? So anyway, getting back to this description of how is Yom Kippur observed. And while it is the most solemn day of the year, we are also joyful. And we are to be likened to the angels, which means we have to be purified to be likened to the angels. That's what Yom Kippur represents, purification of the human, of mankind. Who have no physical needs. Instead of focusing on the physical, we spend much of our day in the synagogue uh, engaged in repentance and prayer. This is a time, the days of all, the days of repentance begin, Yom Kippur. And it continues on to Wednesday if you go by the new moon calendar, or Tuesday if you're going by the Jewish calendar. Okay? Ten days. We need to focus on getting the wickedness out of our brains. We need to focus on change. Teshuva, repent. Focus on tzedakah. And focus, tzedakah is Hebrew for giving, being compassionate, giving to um, people in the fellowship or the assembly, if you have one. Or giving to people outside of it that you know are suffering. That's what this is all about. And then, of course, you pray to the great God in heaven. That's what you must do. And it's like sweet incense to him, as he reveals in the book of Revelation, our prayers. Preparations, subheading. On, on the day before Yom Kippur, the primary mitzvah or command is to eat and drink in abundance. So we just eat and drink in abundance. <laughs> So on the day before Yom Kippur, we eat, and I mean we eat and drink in abundance. And we Americans know how to do that, don't we? Anyway, two festive meals are eaten, one earlier in the day and one just prior to the onset of Yom Kippur. So you could do both. Or What I'm going to do with the assembly I assemble with, we're going to eat a nice festive meal because some are still working during the day, so they're going to come around six o'clock and we're going to eat a festive meal so anyway some of the day's other observances include requesting and receiving honey cake in acknowledgement that we are all recipients in god's world and in pray, prayer for hope for a sweet year begging forgiveness from anyone whom we may have wronged during the past year so again this is a time to go to someone who you've had issues with whoever it is and ask for, for their forgiveness and the person of course that uh, is is being sought after and requested to forgive, they must forgive that person or else Yah or God states plainly that he will not forgive your sins. So that's very important. Anyway, begging forgiveness from anyone whom we may have wronged during the past year, giving extra charity, extra charity, and the ceremonial blessings of the children. So we do all that. 
continue on with the blessings of the children during this time. Before sunset, women and girls light holiday candles, and everyone makes their way to the synagogue for Kol Nidria services. And so that's if you're Jewish, of course, you would do that. If you're, if you're spiritually Jews or <laughs> Messianic Jews or or following Yeshua and understanding he was a Jew and you're keeping the Shabbat and Holy Days and you're going to fellowship in your homes. That would be your spiritual synagogue. Now, on Yom Kippur, in the course of Yom Kippur, we will hold five prayer, or, yeah, that, this is tradition, this is what the Jews do traditionally. We will hold five prayer services. Remember that Yeshua stated that salvation is of the Jews, and then in John 4, verse 24, and in Romans 3, uh, verses 1 to 3, uh, Paul said that the Jews have an advantage. So we need to pay attention to their righteous traditions. Uh, here's the five prayer services. Number one, Merith with his solemn called Nidriya service on the eve of Yom Kippur. Shakarit, the morning prayer, that's number two. Musaf, which includes a detailed account of the Yom Kippur temple service, uh, which I think we'll go over here in, Luke, uh, in Leviticus chapter 16. I'm going to briefly go over it. And Minka, which includes the reading of the book of Jonah. So the book of Jonah is read as well. Finally, in the waning hours of the day, we reach the climax of the day, the fifth prayer, the Nehila, yes, yeah, the Nehila, the Nehila, locking prayer. The gates of heaven, which were open all day, will now be closed with us on the inside. During this prayer, we have the ability to access the most essential level of our soul. The holy ark remains open throughout. And this is interesting because when we look at the book of Revelation here, let's turn to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 11. This is when the seven trumps sound, which pictures Yom Teror, verse 15. So this is Yom Teror here, Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the seven angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, and for you have taken your great power and began to reign. So, anyway, let me say that again. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and began to reign. Now, this is interesting. You would think the angels would be happy about this, but they're not. Verse 18, the nations raged. In the King James Version, the nations were angry, which I think is a better translation. But your wrath came, and a time for the dead to be judged, a resurrection, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, the saints, and for those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So this is the time where he's going to destroy the destroyers of the earth, which is culminated in, uh, on the day of Yom Kippur, or the time of Yom Kippur, when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives. So Revelation chapter 11, starting at verse 19 in the complete Jewish Bible verse. Then the temple of God in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen in this temple, and there were flashes of lightning, voices, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and violent hail. This is a picture of Yom Kippur here. Uh, the fact that the temple is, is, is open, is open. So, back here, it says, Finally, in the waning hours of the day, we reach the climax of the day, the fifth prayer, the Nehila, locking prayer, the gates of heaven, which were open all day, will now be closed with us on the inside. During this prayer, we have the ability to access the most essential level of our soul. The holy ark remains open throughout. The closing Nehila service climaxes in the resounding cries of, Hear, O Israel, God is one. That's the Shema. Then joy erupts in song and dance. A Chabad custom is to sing the lively Napoleon's march, followed by a single blast of the shofar. So you should blow, blast the shofar, and proclaim, Next year in Jerusalem. After the fast, we partake of a festive after-fast meal, making the evening after Yom Kippur a Yom Tov, a festival in its own right. We immediately begin to look forward to the next holiday and a special mitzvah, the construction of the sukkah, which... I'll be talking about the Festival of Sukkot next week. So I tried to break this down as, as best as I could here. And Yom Kippur is, 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 is the time to realize that God was to atone. He wants to purge us from wickedness. And by doing that, we're going to be able to be in his presence. 
So that's what that represents as well. Okay, in Zechariah chapter 12, how much time I have here? Okay, I have 25 minutes, all right. Zechariah chapter 12. says, a prophecy, the word of Adonai. Let me read this in the English Standard Version. Zechariah 12, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. So that tells you we have a spirit in us. That's not a Bible study, but we do have a spirit in us. Verse 2. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding nations. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, which is the day of the Lord, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse. So when, you, when he's talking about doing something like that, you know that's talking about what's going to happen on the day of the Lord when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives. I will strike every horse with, and I'm going to show that to you in Zechariah 14. Anyway, I will strike every horse with panic and his rider with madness, but for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Verse 5, Then the clans of Judah will say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. Verse 6, On that day I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves, and they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in this place in Jerusalem. Verse 7, And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first. So the Jews are going to be saved first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. Verse 8, On that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day I would seek to destroy all the nations, and he means it literally, destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And verse 10, here's the Yom Kippur um, thought here. Okay? Focus. Verse 10, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So in other words, they're going to wake up and realize that, hey, Yeshua is the Messiah. Verse 11, on that day the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadid Remen in the plain of Megiddo. Verse 12, the land shall mourn, each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi, by itself, or Levi, and the wives by themselves, the family of Shem the Shemites by itself, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. And then Zechariah 13 uh, talks a little bit about that, or gives you some more information, and talks about some other prophecies. But Zechariah 14 continues on with the theme of Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah 14, verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord. When the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. Verse 2 For I will gather all the nations against, as it was talked about in Zechariah chapter 12, against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. So women will be raped, and half the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Now, at this time, that's when the Lord will come and land his feet on the Mount of Olives. When he sees all this shenanigans going on, that's going to be it. That's when he's going to come and land his feet on the Mount of Olives. Zechariah 14, verse 3. Then the Lord, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. Verse 4. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split two from the east to the west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward, and the other half southward. All right? And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzzah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. Those holy ones are, are the saints and the angels with him. Verse 6, On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. And there shall be, this shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening 
time there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Remon, south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem shall remain aloft on this side from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. Verse 11, And it shall be inhabited, but there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. And then verse 12, And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues in their mouths. So th this is very serious of what is being described here. Uh, this is total destruction. Anyone that will oppose him will be instantly destroyed and melted. Verse 13, And on that day a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And the plague, like this plague, shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, whatever beasts may be in those camps. And then verse 16 is pretty interesting here. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths, or Sukkot, which I'll talk about next week. Verse 17, And if any other families of the earth do not go to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain, there shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of booths, verse 19, or Sukkot. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of Sukkot, or the booths. All right, so that proves that these laws, ladies and gentlemen, will be kept by all of mankind. And if someone out of mankind does not want to keep the laws, woe unto you. Woe unto you. So, and then this is also spoken of what's going on here in Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3. For behold, in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment. This is what it pictures again. Yom Kippur is judgment. Judgment. And this type of judgment. It's going to focus on the separation of the wicked from the righteous, which again begins when Yeshua comes back down to earth. And this definitely proves it here, this passage in Joel chapter 3. And I will enter into judgment with them there, judgment, on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. So when the division of the land occurs, because you have to understand that in Revelation chapter 11, verse 1 and 3, it says all of Jerusalem will be trampled upon. And then in Matthew chapter 24, in particular in Luke chapter 21, it says that as well. This is talking about half of it. And when half of it is divided and when women are raped and so forth, that's when he's going to be coming back. Verse 3, and have, it says, because they have scattered them among the nations, have divided up my land, and have cast lots from my people, and have traded a boy for a prostitute, and have sold a girl for wine, and, and, and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. Certainly not his temple, but their temples. Verse 6. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks. Now this is interesting because Greece is in the news, folks. <laughs> and here... The Greeks are spoken of in this end-time prophecy. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own borders. So that's what's going to happen in the future. The Jews will be taken into captivity and sold to the Greeks. That's what your Bible says, verse 7. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. So Greek, the, 
the Greek people are going to get it, unfortunately. Verse 8, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. And verse 9, proclaim this among the nations, and that's what I'm trying to do. And anyone else that, that is preaching should be proclaiming this warning to the nations. The following warning here in verse 9, proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for, for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Verse 12, let the nations stir themselves up and, and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Again, this is a Yom Kippur picture here. Verse 13, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in and thread, for the wine press is full. The wine press, that's symbolic of the wine press that the Levites use in, around the temple where they, they put grapes in it and they smashed the grapes and the grapes became grape juice, okay? Or they were used also for, for wine. So the vats overflow, for their evil is great. That's what he's talking about. He's, this is figurative of human beings. That they're going to be smashed and blood's going to come out. That's what he's talking about. Verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. This is the day of the Lord when this great destruction will occur. Verse 15, the sun and the moon are darkened and the stars will draw from their shining. Verse 16, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in, the, in that day the mountains shall drop, drip with sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and the water of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate, wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land but Judah shall be inhabited forever and Jerusalem to all generations I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged for the Lord dwells in Zion okay alright and John chapter 1 verse 29 really sums up Yom Kippur <laughs> in such a simple way John chapter 1 verse 29 Yeah, John chapter 1, verse uh, 29 here. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is a summary of the entire work of the Messiah, folks. He was manifested to destroy death to take away sin. That's what Yom Kippur also pictures as well. And uh, let me just point out uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 15. 11 to 15. This is a very important scripture to understand in light of Yom Kippur. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. I'm going to read this in the um, complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. But when the Messiah appears as Kohen Kadol, or the high priest, for the good things that are happening already, then through the greater and more perfect tent or tabernacle, which is not man-made, that is not of this created world. Verse 12, so we have a heavenly Jerusalem and a heavenly temple. And that's what it's talking about. Verse 12, he entered the holiest place once and for all. So this is a picture of the Yom Kippur service, folks. This is a picture. He entered the holiest place once and for all, and he entered not by means of the blood of goats and calves. That's the way uh, the priest did it uh, based on um, Leviticus chapter 16, but by means of his own blood, thus setting people free forever. Verse 13, for is sprinkling ceremonial unclean persons with the blood of goats and the bulls of ashes of heifer restores their outward purity. So that's all the sacrifices did. It purified the body to be able to appear before Elohim to give the sacrifices. And it was just 
for unintentional sins. It wasn't for intentional sins. Well, the Yom Kippur, uh, what this is all about is for intentional sins. Verse 14, then how much more the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God as a sacrifice without blemish, will purify our minds. That can be only done through the shed blood of the Messiah. will purify our conscience from works that lead to death so we can serve the living God. So that's what Yom Kippur pictures as well. Uh, the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God as a sacrifice without blemish, will purify our conscience from works that lead to death so that we can serve the living God. It is because of this death that he is the mediator of a new covenant, because a death has occurred which sets people free from the transgressions committed under the, the first agreement. Those who have been called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Okay, so that that's what you need to focus on, the fact that through this sacrifices, uh, our intentional sins are forgiven. In Hebrews 10, verse 1, of, uh, in the complete Jewish Bible version, for the Torah has in the shadow of the good things to come, but not the actual manifestation of the originals. Therefore, it can never by means of the same sacrifice repeatedly, endless, endlessly, year after year, and it's talking about, again, on Yom Kippur, bring to the goal those who approach the holy place to offer them, which were the high priest. Verse 2, otherwise, wouldn't the offering of those sacrifices have ceased? For if the people performing the service have been cleansed once and for all, they would no longer have sins on their conscience. Verse 3, no, it is quite the contrary, and these sacrifices is a reminder of sins year after year. Verse 4, for it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. So that didn't take away sins. But the blood of the Messiah did, and that's the point that, that I'm making here. And that's what Yom Kippur ultimately represents and symbolizes. Uh, without, I guess, going, I was going to go into Leviticus chapter 16, but that's something that you can go over, because uh, I don't think I'm going to have enough time to do it, unfortunately. But you can study that. But Hebrews 9, actually, Hebrews chapter 9, actually is a summary of what occurred um, every Yom Kippur during the days of Moshe and in the, in, in the first century. Uh, before the temple was destroyed. All right, in First John chapter two, starting in verse one. It says, My children, I am writing you these things so that you won't sin, but if anyone does sin, we have Yeshua the Messiah, the Zadik, or the righteous, who pleads our cause with the Father. Also he is the Kapara or the covering or, or, or appropriation, that's what the King James says, for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So this is, again, this is what this symbolizes. Sure, this is, uh, represents the, uh, the, um, the house of Judah and house of Israel, both knowing who their Messiah is, okay? Reconciliation, atonement, but it also ultimately represents atonement for the entire world. And that's what the Day of Atonement is, is the Yom Kippur covering. That's, that's what it represents. Also, he is the kapar for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Verse 3. The way we can be sure we know him is as if we are obeying his commands. Verse 4. Anyone who says, I know him, but isn't obeying his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Verse 5. But if someone keeps doing what he says, then truly love for God has been brought to its goal in him. This is how we are sure that we are united with him. Now, this is a key verse here. It says, a person who claims to be continuing in union with him, with the Messiah, ought to conduct his life the way he did. And and for those who are listening to me for the first time, Yeshua kept Yom Kippur, and he expects you to do the same. He expects you to do the same. And then Isaiah chapter 58. How much time do I have left here? Six minutes. Isaiah chapter 58 uh, describes how you fast. All right, in, in Acts chapter 27, verse 9, Acts, the, the type of attitude you all ought to have fasting. Acts chapter 27, verse 9, Yom Kippur is talked about here. In the King James Version, uh, let me read it in the King James Version. In the King James Version, it says this, Now, when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast 
was now already passed. So that word fast is, uh, in the Greek, it means nestiha, and it means abstinence from a lack of food, specifically the fast of the Day of Atonement. That's what that means. So the King James people did not do a good job of translating that. In the complete Jewish Bible version, it states this, Acts 27, verse 9, Since much time had been lost, and continuing the voyage was risky because it was already past Yom Kippur, Shaul advised him. So Shaul uh, kept Yom Kippur, and he said, Follow me because I follow Christ, or the Messiah, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. And we should do the same thing. We should do the same thing. Okay, and then uh, I guess we can go ahead and read Isaiah chapter 58. I have five minutes here. I'm just going to read the part where it talks about, and this is uh, uh, the book of Jonah and also Isaiah 58, and then Leviticus chapter 16 are uh, scriptures you should focus on in preparation for Yom Kippur. And it states here in verse 1 of Isaiah 58, verse 1, it says, Shout out loud, don't hold back, raise your voice like a shofar. Proclaim to my people what rebels they are, to the house of Yaakov their sins, or Jacob their sins. Oh, yes, they seek me day after day and claim to delight in knowing my ways as if they were an upright nation that had not abandoned the rulings of their God. They ask me for just rulings and claim to take pleasure and closeness to God. And and this is what this day pictures, being close to Elohim, God. And in verse 6, he describes the kind of fast he wants. Here is the sort of fast I want. Releasing those unjustly bound, untying the thongs of the yoke, letting the oppressed go free, breaking every yoke, sharing your food with the hungry, taking the homeless poor into your house, clothing the naked when you see them, fulfilling your duty to your kinsmen. And then if you do this, he promises that, in verse 8, then your light will burst forth like the morning, your new skin will quickly grow over your womb, your righteousness will precede you, and Adonai's glory will follow you. Verse 9, then you will call and Adonai will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you will remove the yoke from among you, stop false accusation and slander. And verse 10, generously offer food. It says generously, not stingily, but generously offer food to the hungry and meet the needs of the person in trouble. Then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom become like noon. Adonai will always guide you. He will satisfy your needs in the desert. He will renew the strength in your limbs so that you will be like a water garden, like a spring whose water never fails. You will rebuild the ancient wounds, raise foundations from ages past, and be called repair of broken walls, restore of streets to live in. So that's pretty interesting that he looks at it that way. And then he talks about the Shabbat, which, again, um, it is called, this holy day is called a Shabbat which I, I think is really interesting. That's the reason why the Jews correctly used this uh, during this, this very holy time of Yom Kippur. So the, the, this is the, the description of Yom Kippur. Um, let's understand that, that it represents uh, us being purified of sin. It's, it's, of course, it is a national atonement coming to the entire tribes of Israel, which includes the tribes of Judah and Levi and Benjamin, the Jews, as all the tribes recognize the true Messiah and repent. And currently, most Jews don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. And Christians, which is Ephraim and the the ten lost tribes of Israel, believe in a counterfeit Yeshua that destroyed the Torah and removed it by dying on the cross. Both Jews and Christians will realize who the true Messiah is one day in the future. Plus, this day represents the process of separating the righteous from the wicked, which will be initiated when the Messiah lands his feet on the Mount of Olives and will end after the great white throne judgment found in the book of Revelation is done. And then we have what is symbolized by Shemini Atzeret, a new heaven and a new earth. But in Revelation chapter 20, is talking about all the events leading to, you know, is Yom Teror, and then you have Yom Kippur, and then what I'm going to talk about next next week is Sukkot. Now, after Sukkot is Shemini Atzeret, which is the, the eighth day, the last great day, or the eighth day. The eighth day. I think it's, it's better to describe it as the eighth day, and which is a new beginning, which I'm going to talk about. So, that is a Yom Kippur, and 
I, I hope that people are listening to me. You, you seriously consider uh, celebrating it. Uh, it's, it's a really uh, joyful occasion, even though you're starving yourself. But if you keep in mind the overall potential of man is to become a spirit being, is to become a spirit like Yeshua is a spirit, and have the opportunity to help Yah, even though he doesn't need it, but he wants company, uh, help him rule the universe. That's what we all will be doing in the future. And we will be judging angels and having other responsibilities. And so Yom Kippur is, is, is key to this because without having our sins purged, we will not get to that state. So anyway, may the great Elohim bless you and keep you. And Elohim willing, I will be available to you next week and for you next week. Shalom. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.